welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you tonight from an extraordinarily waterlogged and cold and miserable Sunderland, Massachusetts. It is Monday, October 24th, 2022, 6.15 p.m. Um, everything has been going well here. The reason I didn't record last week was because my husband was home early for once because it was our open week with regards to the football season. There was no game Saturday. And because of that, he was home earlier all week, which was nice. And by the time I sat down to do my podcast last Monday night, it was, I was so tired. It was like nine o'clock at night. And I was like, you know, I don't want to be yawning into the microphone. So I'll just wait until next week. So here I am. We had a fabulous week. The weekend was beautiful. The weather Saturday was flat out gorgeous. And then yesterday it started to take a turn. I went to Westfield to go on a trail ride because, well, I did a trail ride in Westfield a week ago, Sunday, and it didn't go as well as I had hoped. Not because I don't know how to ride a horse at this point, but because the horse they gave me was so damn stubborn I just didn't enjoy it. She was very difficult. Um, quarter horse, not something I'm, I'm not used to, but she just would not move and I had to keep kicking her. And I just was like, okay, I need to go back and have a do-over with the better horse. And thankfully yesterday I had a much better horse. She was much more responsive. Still a quarter horse, but had a little bit more personality. I think she was a little bit younger, too, so that might have had something to do with it. But we were about halfway through the trail ride when it started raining, and one of the horses spooked because I guess raindrops are big, evil, nasty, scary things. Uh, my horse didn't spook to the point where it was a problem, but she did step on a stick and scare herself. So it was kind of a funny... There were some funny moments, but... It was a good, a much better trail ride, and I, I had a much better time yesterday. But of course, I got rained on, and it's been raining ever since. And I absolutely hate the weather this time of year, and I have a feeling we're going to be in for a really bad winter. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope three months from now I'm not recording this saying, we got three feet of snow today. But that very well could be the case. But the weather is not why you tune in to listen. Um, you tune in to learn about endangered species. And tonight is all about the black-footed ferret, which sadly is a victim of near extinction due to the law of unintended consequences. But first of all, a little bit of a few facts about the black-footed ferret. Um, it's the only ferret native to North America. Its territory ranges from Saskatchewan, Canada to Chihuahua, Mexico. Uh, they're very muscular, uh, very good hunters. Their body is the same circumference at the neck as it is at the hips, which kind of makes me think of, you know, when you watch football and you see like an offensive lineman that he's just like a barrel, <laughs> built like a barrel all the way from his shoulders all the way down to his butt. That's kind of the way a black-footed ferret is. They're very stocky and muscular, and uh, they have large front paws with very sharp claws, razor-sharp claws, uh, because they invade prairie dog tunnels. Uh, they live in abandoned prairie dog colonies and they eat prairie dogs. Uh, they're nocturnal. They sleep most of the day. They sleep up to 21 hours a day and wake up at night to hunt, eat, and take care of their young. Um, 
they're a member of the weasel family, of course, like all ferrets are, and they're about the same size as a mature mink. So that gives you an idea. They're fairly, fairly compact, very muscular, medium-sized weasel. Um, they're solitary, like so many of these creatures are, except for mating and caring for their young. And there's a very short mating season for the black-footed ferret. It's only between March and April. And when they do mate successfully, they have a 41 to 43 day gestation period. And when their kits are born, they're born blind and helpless, and they live under solely underground for the first two months of their life. And then at two months old, they emerge from the prairie dog dens, and their mothers teach them how to hunt. So by the time they're about three months old, they have reached about 90% of their full size, and they're adept hunters, so then they go off on their own at three months old. Um, so you know, they're solitary creatures. And I found this interesting because it really shows you how quickly things go sideways for animals when it comes to extinction. In the early 1900s, there were believed to be about 5 million of them in the prairie. But by the 1970s, scientists thought they were extinct because of prairie dog declines. Well, this is where the law of unintended consequences comes in that I mentioned. Uh, why were the prairie dogs in decline? Well, they were considered pests primarily. Uh, they, they did succumb to a couple of severe bouts of sylvatic plague, which is basically just what scientists call black plague when it, in, when it involves animals. Um, some of their numbers dwindling was due to habitat conversion from the grass, the open grass prairies to farmland. But the primary reason the prairie dogs started dying off was because they were exterminated as pests. Um, and I suppose I could see where ranchers and farmers would have had problems with prairie dogs because they burrow like a mole or a vole does. And if you've ever had a mole tunnel through your front yard when you're trying to grow grass, it just does not, it, <clears throat> it's not conducive to being able to grow anything if you've got creatures tunneling under the grass. So I can see why farmers were annoyed by the prairie dogs, but their, their response to that nuisance was so extreme that they pretty much completely disterminated the prairie dogs. And prairie dogs are the primary food source for the black-footed ferret. Now they will eat other things, but I mean, they'll eat like squirrels and small rodents, but they prefer prairie dogs. So once you started killing all the prairie dogs, you weren't necessarily thinking about the black-footed ferret, which is why I call it the law of unintended consequences. No one wanted to exterminate black-footed ferrets. They only wanted to get rid of the prairie dogs, but it's just further proof that as you move you know, through the food chain and start taking out uh, animals in the food chain, you're going to disrupt a lot of other animals that you might not even think of. So, as, as far as the timeline goes for why uh, black-footed ferrets were believed to be extinct, they were actually listed as endangered in 1967, and by 1979, scientists had declared them extinct. But, and this is a little gruesome, in 1981, there was a small population discovered in Matitsi, Wyoming, 
and they were found because a rancher's dog brought a dead one home and the rancher hadn't seen this creature and um, got in touch with the wildlife services and they identified it as a black-footed ferret, which they were surprised to find because they thought they were all dead. So they scientists captured a small population of them in the wild and decided to use them as a captive breeding program. There were 18 that were captured, seven males and 11 females. Um, and shortly before they were captured, a sylvatic plague uh, outbreak nearly decimated the last remaining wild black-footed ferrets, but they were able to get 18 out before they died. Um, so then captive breeding programs uh, went from 1985 to 1991 when the first captive bred ferrets were released into the wild. And then in 1998, after a count was done, it was proved that there were more ferrets in the wild than there were in captivity in the breeding programs. And in 2015, there are, were counted to be about 300 wild-born or released individuals in the wild. So while you think that it's horrible how they went from 5 million plus at their peak to 300 plus, at least their uh, reintroduction to the wild is successful. And if we can just keep ranchers from killing prairie dogs, they should be able to remount. They are actually quite, um, they mate quite a bit throughout their lives. And I would think you would want to encourage black-footed ferrets because they're kind of a natural pest control for prairie dogs. I read a statistic while I was doing my research that said an average prairie dog can eat a hundred, an average prairie dog, excuse me, let me rewind that and correct myself. The average black-footed ferret can eat upward of a hundred prairie dogs in a year. And a family of four can take out about 250. So I would think that part of the restoration of the species would include educating ranchers that they can actually, by allowing black-footed ferrets on their property, they can actually control the prairie dog populations. But um, it is encouraging. 300 seems to be a small number, and it is. But they are doing very well. And I believe that in the coming decades, we will find out that the reintroduction of this nearly extinct species will have been one of conservation's biggest success stories. At least I hope so. But so far, it looks all signs point to that being a possibility, say, within the next 10 years. So um, that is where I'm going to leave this podcast. I know it's a little shorter than usual, but the black-footed ferret, there's not a whole lot of information out there about them, but what you find is fascinating. They, they're beautiful creatures. If you see a photo of one, they're absolutely beautiful, and they're a very vital part of the ecosystem. So... I hope that ranchers going forward, forward will learn the error of their ways and they won't be so quick to just start exterminating creatures that may make it a little bit harder for them to do their job. Because in the end, they could be destroying an animal they don't even know about. 
So I will leave it here for this week, and I will, of course, be back next week with another endangered species. And until then, this is Lauren Andrew with Conservation Radio Group, where we say goodbye for now.